Good morning. It's good to see you today. I, uh, <clears throat> I grew up just outside of the uh, city of Houston, Texas, just to the, to the south, and uh, real close to uh, the NASA Space Center. In fact, my dad taught at the university that it was uh, almost in the shadows of NASA. And so uh, I was always fascinated by going there when I was a kid. And, and I can remember back one time playing uh, in uh, Little League Baseball, and the space shuttle was piggybacking on, a, on an airplane and went right over our field on its way back to, uh, to the Space Center. So it was really a, a very uh, uh, great place to, uh, to grow up. And, and uh, that was uh, always a fascinating experience to go and see what was taking place in, in, uh, in NASA. And uh, a few years before I was born, they, uh, they had been uh, attempting and, and completing several trips to, to the moon. And uh, there was one in particular, Apollo 13, that happened in April of 1970, which was going to be the third trip to the moon. And uh, if you remember, or if, maybe if you saw the movie that came out uh, about it, uh, that they had a problem and didn't end up getting to, to land on the moon. In fact, they had, a, they had an oxygen tank explode. They ended up going to the far side of the moon, and then they had to figure out how they were going to get back to Earth. If you, uh, if you remember, they had a whole series of things that, that had to happen. Uh, they were afraid they might lose pow- uh, run out of, of, of power, so to conserve their, their energy, they sh- shut down the computer for a little while and needed to, to do a, uh, to an engine burn for about 34 or 39 seconds. And in that time, they, they tried to determine how can they stay on course? How, how can they make sure that, that, they, uh, that, the, that they won't end up going into a, to a direction that would lead them away from their destination? And so what they decided to do is that they had a little window that they could see out of, and they kept their eye on their destination. So if you can imagine trying to, trying to, to pilot this, this spacecraft and keep your eye on the little blue planet in the distance, and uh, that's what they did. And they hung on and they, 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 they completed the engine burn. They got back onto the path that they needed to be on and amazingly uh, made it back to earth. And I think that's a picture for us. You know, there are times in our lives as well that, that uh, we find ourselves going in a direction. We need, need to make that course correction, need to make sure that we're on track, need to make sure that we're going the path that, that, uh, that, that God intends for us. And we need to have that, that focal point. And for us as believers, the focal point is Jesus Christ. He's our Savior. He is, he is the one that, that is, uh, that is the, uh, the, the essence of, of our being. Uh, it is our identity that we have in Him. And so as we begin the new year, as we begin a, 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 a new season of ministry, I felt that the, that the book of Colossians would be helpful for us. In fact, in chapter 3 of Colossians, it begins by saying, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So we see that there is a call to put our focus on Christ. And that's not always an easy thing to do. There's a lot happening in life, a lot of of directions. In fact, we may feel like that Apollo 13 at times, just kind of spiraling in a direction that we didn't intend to go, having things take place that we didn't anticipate. And yet we need to have that focus to make sure that our lives and the trajectory of of where we are going uh, will be stable. I think Colossians will be a book that will help give us that focus. We'll go through it verse by verse, starting in, in chapter 1. And uh, it has a beautiful theme, uh, and we'll look at it in greater detail in a minute, but a, a theme of the supremacy of Christ. And there's a reason why Paul wrote that. There's a reason why the people he was writing to needed to be reminded 
of the true nature and identity of Christ. For us, I think it'll be a good reminder for us as well. We've we've had quite a few months together uh, going through and pursuing uh, and, and, and asking God to guide and direct our steps. Uh, a lot of energy has been expended. A lot of meetings have taken place uh, to to arrive at a point where we could make a decision on where we where we believed God was leading us. And so I think that Colossians will be helpful to bring back a focus upon our Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the head of the church. He's the creator of the world. He's our Lord and Savior who we walk with each and every day. And so I, I pray that the series through Colossians will, will be uh, refreshing uh, to your spirit, that it will renew our souls, that it will be a good way for us to start the year going through uh, a little book, not, not, not but a few chapters long, but very powerful in its content. Let's think for a minute about its background. Uh, Paul is writing a letter to a church that meets in Colossae. That's where the title of the book Colossians comes from. It's a a city in what is now modern-day Turkey. It's about uh, 80 miles from from Ephesus. And uh, and it's it's near a few other uh, towns that you may have heard of in the Bible. The town of Laodicea, the town of Hierapolis. They're all in this this same area. Some of these towns are mentioned in Paul's letter. Some are mentioned, obviously, in the book of Revelation. Um, But in the... In the Lycus Valley, you have these little towns, and there's not much left of Colossae. Uh, there's just in terms of, of, of ruins, there's, there's not a whole lot there. We, our family was, was there in 2013 and had an opportunity to see some of the, uh, some of these, uh, towns. And there's certainly a lot more in Ephesus. Um, and there, um, there was, uh, also some ruins in a, a nearby town of Hierapolis, which I thought was, was particularly fascinating. Um, in fact, if you, if you look at the, the, the picture here of Hierapolis, it looks like it's in the Arctic, doesn't it? It looks like this icy, uh, cascade of, of, of icing uh, uh, water, but, but that's not, it's, it's not even, uh, below freezing when that picture is taken. That's, that's, that's water. It's minerals that are coming out of the mountain and they're, they're forming these deposits. Has anybody ever, uh, worked with, or, or had travertine tile put into your house? That's, that's where they harvest this stuff. In fact, there's another picture that you can kind of get a little better perspective of, of it coming off the side of the mountain, these crystal clear blue pools of water, but the, all the sediment just, just, just sticks and the, the travertine fills. So, so when we were in um, one of these little towns, you could look out in the distance and it was, it was springtime and it was warm, relatively warm outside, but there was this one mountain that was just white and it looked like a snow-covered mountain. But again, it was, it was all the, the travertine being, uh, being deposited there in the, uh, in the side. So, so this was the location. Outside of Ephesus, Paul had never been there. Uh, but some people he met in Ephesus when he was evangelizing were from Colossae. And we'll talk about them in just a minute. Uh, Epaphras was one of them. And Epaphras is the one who's bringing the letter from Rome while Paul was in prison. He's writing this letter to the Colossians because he's worried about something that is affecting them. And it was something, uh, it was a teaching called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism means higher knowledge. Or those who were Gnostics thought they were in the know or having a superior spiritual knowledge. And what they did is they, they were, were basically,
basically taking a little bit of this and a little bit of that and, and putting together, cobbling together a very complicated spiritual belief system that, that took some out of, out of the world of mysticism, uh, some out of asceticism. It just took a little of this, even, even some strains out of, of, of Christianity. Uh, it made statements like anything that is, that is matter is evil. And if, if Jesus was created as a being and possessed matter, he could not have been God because all matter is evil and he's not and, and God would not be evil. And so they, these kinds of statements would be would be confusing to new believers. And so that's why as we go through the book of Colossians, we're going to see some statements about Christ where Paul is just really setting it clear on who he is, what he has done. In fact, his his supremacy. We'll see that in a, in a few weeks as we get in verses 15 through 20, Lord willing, uh, that just has some beautiful statements of uh, of the identity of Christ. So, so Paul's writing a letter because he doesn't want this young church to be deceived by the Gnostics. And for us, even as we look around at our culture, there's all kinds of uh, of, of teaching that's out there, and it's 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 important for us to get to the word and see how does it reveal the nature of Jesus Christ and our faith in following him. So Epaphras and Philemon are two men that Paul had met in Ephesus. As I said, Epaphras was the one who was who was uh, giving the report of the people of Colossae. He would have been the one that while in Ephesus heard the gospel and had to do something. He had to get back to his town, right? And let them know what he had heard. And as we'll see in our text this morning, the gospel was bearing fruit among them. Uh, if you read over in the book of Philemon, you know that he also was from the same area. And in fact, hosted the church of Colossae in his house uh, for, for a time. And so these are two people that uh, you've probably heard their names. And Epaphras' name will come up in our text this morning as well. The theme of Colossians, again, Paul wanting to make sure that a young church knew the truth about the nature of Jesus Christ. So I pray that for us, even though you may have walked with Christ for, for many, many years, or there may be some who are exploring the claims of Christ. And you want to know, I've heard the name Jesus. We just celebrated Christmas. Tell me, who is he? What has he done? What's, what's he like? Well, this, this series, this book of Colossians will answer those questions. It will expand our view and hopefully bring about that focus that I was talking about earlier that will help us as we move forward to have a focus and a, 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 a direction towards him. He is the one who is absolutely supreme above all things. He is completely sufficient, both as the head of all creation, but also head of the church. And so we're going to see his supremacy as it's outlined in some very specific ways in the coming weeks. For us today, we're going to begin the season of ministry together as we see a new church emerging among us. And I pray that Colossians will help be a part of establishing a foundation for our future ministry together. Here's the first point this morning, the relationship that defines the church. Each of these points are going to speak about our identity, our identity individually in Christ, but also our identity as a as a church. And uh, <clears throat> the first one is uh, speaking to the relationship that we have with Christ that brings about that identity. Let's look at the first two verses. <clears throat> Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae grace to you and peace 
from God our Father. So right there we have the author of the letter, Paul, obviously accompanied at this point by Timothy, uh, had been uh, in prison. This is one of the, uh, the, uh, the epistles that he wrote uh, from, from prison. And, uh, and from that, he, uh, he addresses the, the church in Colossae and uses some very important words. I know some of these are, are pretty familiar to us as we read through uh, different letters that Paul wrote. But let's think about some of these words for a minute. Because as a church with a new season of ministry, as two churches coming into one, it's important for us to reflect upon who we are. Who we are in Christ, but also who the people are that are that are seated around us. To be reminded of that is uh, is exceptionally important. He calls them saints, or the version you're reading might say holy, the holy ones, the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. As he speaks about a saint, that may that may strike you because sometimes we we think of a saint as as one who has been. Uh, Set aside as a as a very super holy individual, and we see a lot of, of of people that have been given that name saint. But do you see what Paul has done? Who does he refer to as saints? All of us. Anyone that's been that's that's been uh, uh, saved by grace. Anyone who's been placed in Christ and abides in Him, uh, they are the saints. They are they have been set apart. That's what the word really means: set apart from this world and set apart for Him. And so if you are a follower of Christ, you are a saint. You are considered holy, specifically because of what Christ has done. His holiness that's been credited to your account. Because I think we all know each other well enough to know we are not holy in and of ourselves, are we? Well, I can speak for myself, right? I'm not. I'm not holy. My nature is not holy. But Christ is. And so when I came to him, when you came to him, what he had done, his life was credited to you. And so when when God looks upon you, he sees holiness. In fact, he references you as a as one who's been set apart, a saint. So this is the beginning of the identity as we as we consider what it means to be in Christ. The next phrase that's used there is faithful brothers. You could say faithful brothers and sisters because it was meant to to uh, to be a term to talk about the family of Christ that's there. And so uh, as I think about a church family, you know, we are united. We have the same Lord and we are united as brothers and sisters in Christ. And uh, and that's that's really the key. That last phrase there in Christ. And uh, this is uh, this is uh, what it means to be united uh, together with him. And that, uh, that we have a, a spiritual union, a spiritual family that is, uh, that is a part of our walk with him. Just think about these descriptions for a minute. Paul begins by really celebrating who they are as a church. A holy, set-apart people, a spiritual family united with Jesus Christ. And you know, that's not just who they were in Colossae. That's who we are. Set apart, holy, brothers and sisters in our Savior, Jesus Christ. If you look around this morning at the congregation, and I know that's, that's probably a little awkward just to kind of turn and look. But if you were to look around, you would be looking at fellow saints. Yes, people that are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, as you look around, you're, you're not going to see perfect people. Anybody see anybody that's perfect? 
I thought I saw one hand, but that, that was okay. If I'd been an auctioneer, Michael, you'd have bought that one. Okay, I, I, yes. <laughs> we are all forgiven people, not perfect people. So as we look around at one another, yes, we're flawed, we're imperfect. We were in need of a Savior. So as we, as we come as, together as a church family, it's, it's helpful for us to be reminded who one another are. That God favors us. That we are valued because of our position in Christ as part of His body. In fact, I've referenced this verse before, but at the end of Acts chapter 20, verse 28, in speaking to the leaders and about how they're to care for the, the church, it describes the church this way. For them to care for the church of God, which He obtained, do you see the rest of that? With His own blood. Now, I know there can be times that... Uh, that we can have hard feelings within the church. We're people, we're humans, we make mistakes, we, we can offend, and so forth. But if we step back and think about the identity of those who are part of our church family, it gives us uh, the, 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 the understanding to have respect, to, to have value for each other, particularly because we are reminded that Christ has purchased these seated around us with his own blood, including us, including me, including you, all of us. And so it, it, it raises that, that understanding of who we are as a church family. And so if you look at, at this, at this uh, little phrase, in Christ at Colossae, you really see two locations. You see the physical location, the city they're in, but you see the spiritual location that they are in Christ. If you go to the uh, the catacombs in Rome, there's these underground burial places, and it's like a labyrinth <clears throat> that you can walk through, and uh, they are tombs. And and uh, in fact, there's there's uh, uh, you know you you can you can see uh, bodies that have been buried and so forth. It's 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 a very very unusual setting. In fact, we we think about the catacombs and think about the Christians that would go down underground to worship in secret when the Roman Empire wouldn't allow them to worship Christ as Lord because Caesar's Lord, right? In the eyes of the Roman Empire. But you think about about the catacombs and there were some tombs, many of them without even names on them, but inscriptions. In Christo, in pace, in Christ, in peace. You see, the identity that we have of being in Christ makes all the difference in this life, but also in the life that is still to come. Are you in Christ? Have you, have you come into a, a personal relationship with Him, with Him as your Savior, your Lord? Here's how Paul said it in 2 Corinthians 5. He said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. The old has passed. Behold, the new has come. Is that not good news? The opportunity that the old life can be put away, that the old ways, the old way of thinking, the old perspectives, like Russ was talking about at the beginning, that, that when we come in to Christ, it changes everything. Changes our priorities and, and, and what we value. And so Paul's saying you're a new creation. You are brand new. But the key is in Christ. In Christ. So as we think about our identity as a church, 
Remember those two little words that we are in Christ. Then he gives them a greeting. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Again, typical greeting. We can read very similar words in in other letters that he's written. But it's interesting that what he's doing is he's blending together a Greek and a Hebrew greeting and sharing it with the church family. He's saying grace, kadis. In fact, one of the more formal ways of saying hello to someone in, in Greece today when, when we lived there was, was a form of the same word. You'd say herete. Now, if you said it, people would look at you strange because it's not that common anymore. Um, but it's the word for grace. It's saying grace upon you, grace to you. And then he also says peace. And that's an Old Testament greeting. You remember the, the Old Testament word, the Hebrew word for, for peace? Shalom, right? And so it's, it's the idea of, 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 of giving a blessing of peace to someone, which would include the absence of strife. That's typically what we think of when we think of peace. But beyond that, it's also speaking of, a, of being complete, being whole. And so it's, it's really a powerful greeting to, 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 to offer someone and say grace and peace upon you. I'm looking and praying for God's favor, for you to have completeness in him. And so, so he, he opens these words and even says that, that, that these things come from God our Father. To experience the peace of God, we must first receive the grace of God. And so it's an interesting order that he's given. So we see the church and its identity as being in Christ. Secondly, we look at the verses 3 through 5. And we're going to see some traits that describe the church. As, as we read this, see which words jump out to you as traits that describe us as his body. It says, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Let's stop the mid, midway there through verse 5. Faith, hope, and love. That's the triad that we see over and over again through the New Testament. Faith, hope, and love. Now, the, the order that, that Paul has used here has been faith, love, and hope. And I think he did it for a particular reason. But let's think about these words for a minute. The first one is the faith component. And it's not just having a faith, as we sometimes talk about in our culture today. Not just having a faith in anything, but a faith is only as good as the object in which it attaches itself. You can have your faith before you sit down into a chair, but if it's, if it's brittle, if it's broken, if the legs aren't secure, you're putting your faith in something to hold you that might not be able to hold you. And so faith is attached to an object. And in this case, he says, faith in Christ Jesus. And so that's part of of, of our confession, that we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, that we have a belief in him. I read about uh, a missionary that was that was in the New Hebrides, John G. Patton, P-A-T-O-N. If you ever want to read any uh, missionary biography or a little account of some some amazing missionary journeys, this would be one to put on your list. And uh, John Patton was was a missionary, the New Hebrides. I believe he was from Scotland. And uh, he encountered all kinds of hardship when he was there. Uh, in fact, uh, while his wife was uh, uh, his wife had given birth to a child, 
in the process ended up with, with catching a disease. She died. Uh, not more than a month later, the child died. He had all kinds of heartache. But he was there trying to faithfully translate the scriptures, even among these cannibals, uh, so that they could, they could be set free, that they could, that they could hear, hear about the, the, uh, the glory of Christ. And he was struggling to try to find a word to describe faith or belief. And as he was talking with them, he came across a word that meant lean your whole weight upon. And he said, that's the word I'm looking for. Lean your whole weight upon. That's the faith that he wanted them to have. That's the faith that that Paul says this church has a faith in Christ Jesus. He is their only hope. He is their He is their reason for existing as a church. Faith in Christ Jesus. We see not only faith, but also love. Notice where the love is directed. A love that you have for, what does it say? All the saints. And we read about them a few verses ago. And now we see that that he's not only addressing them as saints, he's saying, you possess a love for all the saints. All the saints. This word love, again, is a sacrificial commitment. He's saying he's not met them, but he's heard reports of the way that they care for each other, the way that they are committed to one another. And he is he is saying that's part of your identity, the way in which you love. In fact, the Apostle John said it this way in First John four eleven, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And that's that's part of 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 exhibiting a transformed life. God works in us. He has loved us. He has put his love in us. And what's the natural outflow? But to see the way in which we love others. That's to be a hallmark of the church. And I believe that it is a hallmark of our church in the way that, that we love one another. The way that we care for those when, they, when they're encountering times of need. Now, can our love increase? Can our love more, more fully develop? You bet it can. And we need to, 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 to work on that type of commitment. And that's, that's not always easy, again, because we're fallen people. We make mistakes, we say things we shouldn't say, and so we, we have opportunities to, to forgive and to reconcile. But to say that, that our love for one another is absolutely critical for our identity as a church. That we want to be committed. That we want to, 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 to love in a sacrificial way. In fact... The Apostle John would even use stronger words to say that that that's really proof that we know God. Look at what he says in verses 20 and 21. Again, first John chapter four, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar for who does not love his brother for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And so that challenges us, doesn't it? It challenges us not only to to uh, uh, to to work towards love within the body, but it also challenges us that when the love isn't there to do some soul searching and to look and see why. Why is that love not present? And so so we see that that Paul uses these words as he describes their their church. And I pray that God will establish and continue to to further develop the love within this body 
And as this body grows and as people come together that, that, uh, that, that don't know each other, that there would be an acceptance, as it says here, to love all the saints, regardless of background, regardless of, of the differences that we may have. May we focus on what we have in common in Christ and allow that, uh, that love to be demonstrated. If you think about it, that's also a message that is conveyed to the world. If there is a group of people that can be sincerely committed to each other and at times forgive one another, right? There's things that happen within the, the context of a church, within a, within a class, within a group, within a ministry. There are times that their feelings get hurt. There are times that, that, uh, that, that, that we're, we're not sure why, why something has, has, hasn't been done for us or why something was said to us and trying to, to work through and to forgive and to preserve love. That, that provides a message to the community that I think is very striking. Something that's not of this world. Something that some people might not have even experienced in their family. That they can experience in their spiritual family. And so, who is that up to? To have that kind of love? Who is that on? Each one of us. We all contribute, don't we? Or we all not contribute, don't contribute. It works both ways. But, but to say that it's important and that it's a, it's a hallmark of our identity. And what we want to, uh, to see happen is exceptionally important. But then he goes to hope. And again, he uses it at the end because uh, uh, he, he speaks of, of the hope being tied to what is ahead. Look at the beginning of verse 5. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. It's as if he's saying by, by placing your focus on eternal things, the hope undergirds the faith and the love that the church demonstrates. But the opposite is also true. If our hope isn't placed on eternal things, but it's placed on the temporal, that faith and that love is going to be very difficult, isn't it? So to have that, that, that right focus, that faith in Christ, that, that, that faith, that, that hope that's been laid up for us in heaven provides for the other attributes to be seen. Let's look at the final point. The gospel message establishes the church. Let's uh, pick up in the middle part of verse 5 and, uh, and go through the end of verse 8. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our, our, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. That's a powerful little section there. It shows us the, the power of the gospel to be communicated from one to another. It shows the power of the gospel in changing lives. In fact, it uses the phrase bearing fruit and increasing. Wouldn't you love to see in our new season of ministry that gospel fruit continues to increase, that it continues to multiply, that there are other others who experience the life changing transformation of the gospel? 
You see, Epaphras experienced it. He found it in Ephesus and he had to get to Colossae. He had to, to, to share with them what had happened to him. He, he testified and he ministered to them. And what happened? The gospel took root there as well. And I know that, that the same Holy Spirit that it was at work in that time is working today. There are still lives in our community and in our midst that need the transformation of Christ upon them. And we are the ones, we are the Epaphras that can come to them and bring words of life, words of truth, which are defined here as the gospel. The gospel. It's a word we use a lot. We see it come up in, uh, in different passages. What is the gospel? What is this phrase? What is this word? You know, sometimes a word can be so familiar that can be used so frequently that it, it could be misunderstood. Or maybe even in, in, the, in the way that we use a word, it can be misunderstood. That's, that's kind of how language is, I suppose. Um, several years ago, and it's probably been four or five years ago, uh, our youngest, Brock, uh, got into this habit where, where he liked to, to kind of get, get out of sight, maybe behind a door or behind a piece of furniture, and jump out and scare you. Did any of your kids ever do that? <laughs> well, Brock was in this phase where he just thought that was the funniest thing. Well, he, he took a trip to see my mom and dad, and uh, he decided to try that one on Grandma. And, and it worked. Boy, he scared her half to death. And he thought that was so funny. And so uh, my, my mom's not a very stern person. If you, if you ever met her, you'd, you'd, you'd know that. But she was trying to communicate to him that, that that's not acceptable. So she said, Brock, you can't scare Grandma. Yeah, listen to those words. What do those mean to you? Does that sound like a challenge? Or does it sound like a command? Well, she meant it one way. He understood it another Like, aha, I bet I can scare Grandma. And about 10 minutes later, he pulled it off, right? Then she made sure that he understood that it was a command, an imperative. You cannot, you can't do this to Grandma. You can't scare her. And it reminds me that, that you know, we use words all the time. Even, even words like grace. You can have a conversation in the St. Louis area about grace. And depending upon the, the religious instruction, or the framework that someone has had growing up, they might define that word differently than what you are defining it. Grace, salvation, and in this case, gospel. What is the gospel? It's important that we as a church can clearly articulate what the gospel is. Let me, let me share about the gospel in a couple of ways. The first is... That the gospel is the grand overarching theme of the Bible. That from creation to the fall, meaning fall of, into, into sin, to redemption and consummation in a new heaven and new earth. That's the grand overarching theme of the Bible. And it is the gospel. It's the good news of God restoring and putting all things back in order again. But that's the big picture view. The personal side is that to complete this, he sent his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus would fulfill the prophecies of, of being the Messiah, that, that he would live a holy life, that he would die for the sins that he didn't commit, and that he would rise again from the grave, defeating death and hell itself. And so the elements of the gospel are both grand and glorious as we think about the big picture, but they're also very personal because we have to, to believe. 
We have to receive by faith, by, by repenting of, of our sins and placing our, our faith in Christ. We are partakers of the gospel. Just as Epaphras brought the message to Colossae, they could hear it, but then they had to be in Christ by receiving it. And so I would pause right there this morning and say that there may be some among us today that need to be in Christ. Maybe you've even grown up in church. Maybe these are words that are familiar to you, but you've, you've not experienced that life transformation by coming to Christ in faith and saying, Jesus, I see now who you are. I see what you've done, and I want to receive for myself the gift of salvation by trusting in you to save me from my sins, to forgive me, and to be my Lord. That's, it's, 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 a, it's a relationship that has to begin by one person coming to Christ. He's offered the invitation. He, said, he has said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. He said, I will give you rest. I will give you rest for your soul. And there may be some among us today that need to receive what Christ is so willing to give to them. So this is the gospel. And he says that, that they have heard the word of truth in the gospel. Literally meaning what? Good news. And so we want to be a church that's, that's focused upon the gospel. We've, we've said in, our, in, in the mission statement that we're developing that we want to, to be people who are renewed by the gospel message, but empowered by the gospel mission. One of the things that in talking about the gospel that that I misunderstood for quite some time, and, and maybe you you've, you've struggled with this, is to think that the gospel is is a once only uh, time uh, when, when 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 one comes to faith in Christ. It's the beginning of one's salvation, and that's it. But really, the gospel is more than that. The gospel is there at the beginning, obviously, so that one can come to faith in Christ. But it's the gospel that empowers. It's it's God's it's God's uh, message and his spirit that continues to work. In fact, in Romans one, it says in verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So we want our whole beings to be saturated by this gospel message. Our our families should be saturated by the gospel. Our marriages should have should have an effect because of the gospel. The way that we raise our kids should be should be different because of the gospel. The way that we approach our our workplace this week is different because of the gospel at work in us. And so, yes, it is the message. It is the mission. It is what we focus on. And so as we get back to Colossians and we think about the, the direction that we as a church want to go. Just as those astronauts had to, had to look out and focus on earth to keep the right perspective and go the right direction. I think in a time of change, in a time of transition, we also we need to keep our eyes on Christ, looking to him, asking him to, to help us in the direction that we're going, that we can be a church that's centered on his word, on his gospel. And that just as it says in verse 6, of chapter one, that it can bear fruit, that it can grow, that others can experience the good news. I pray that our identity as a church will flow out of the gospel. 
who we are in Christ. And we've already looked at it as a spiritual family united in him. A people who have experienced his grace and are not only receiving, but helping to offer his peace. May we demonstrate faith in Jesus, love for one another, and a hope in what lies ahead. May the fruit of the gospel increase in my life and in your life in 2017. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much that your word gives us instruction. And these words today have given us hope as we see the special identity that we have in your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that that we would live a life that flows out of that identity. As individual believers, as families, but also as a church family, a spiritual family. May this faith and love and hope, may it be exhibited in an increasing measure in the days to come. Father, we, we would be remiss if we didn't pause and just thank you for the hope that we have in you, for the salvation that we have been given through your son, Jesus Christ. And even as we read that, that it was purchased by his blood. So we say thank you for the opportunity that we have to know you and to be counted among your children. Father, I pray that you will help us to be like Epaphras and share this message, to share this hope with those around us as you give us opportunity. And Father, may you unite us together in a, in a love that is, that is an uncommon love, something that must be coming from your throne. Father, may you continue to be at work as we worship you today. Even as we give back in tithes and offerings, may you take them and use them to further your work here among us and in our community. If we pray this in Christ's name, and all of God's people said, Amen.